Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Michael Bruce, the Sleep Doctor, and welcome to another episode of Sleep Success, your health and awareness podcast. Also, if you haven't already, please do me the favor and subscribe to the Sleep Success Podcast. And if you can, give me a couple of stars rating, hopefully five, and a review. We'd love to hear from you. On today's episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Dr. Michael Gervais. He's a high-performance psychologist who focuses on people who are at the top of their game. It's coming up, but first, it's time for the wake-up call. So even though there have been some giant heat waves lately, summer is going to be ending soon, which means for many, we're going to be changing our clocks or falling backwards. But recently, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine called for the end to daylight savings time altogether. American Academy of Sleep Medicine President Dr. Karan Ramar said, We've had evidence slowly building up over the years in terms of the adverse effects when we move from daylight savings time to standard time and vice versa. I couldn't agree more. I've been calling for this to be eliminated for I don't know how long. If you look back, I believe it was Benjamin Franklin who came up with this idea, and it really had more to do with an agrarian society and crop rotations, and so understanding when to get more sunlight to be able to have more crops made a lot of sense. While farmers can get up and go to bed whenever they want now, we probably don't need our entire society changing when they're going to bed and when they're waking up. Also, many people don't know this, but the day after daylight savings when we lose an hour is used to be at least the number one day for car accidents in the United States. So once again, let's do away with daylight savings. I know COVID has forced a dramatic shift in the workplace as many people have been forced to work from home. For some, the idea of cutting out commuting has been a godsend. For others, it's really not that ideal. But one recent study published in the Journal of Translational Medicine has shed light on how this shift has significantly impacted sleep quality. 121 men and women between the ages of 18 and 65 were studied for once before the pandemic and then for 40 days after, and the findings were telling. The sleep quality that was measured using the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index, that's actually a very famous questionnaire, well-validated, that we use in a lot of research studies, had noted all participants who had higher PSQI scores, which indicated worsened sleep quality. So yep, everybody is sleeping worse, and we've now got the data to prove it. The study also revealed that those who worked from home and used their smart devices to work on had even higher scores, so more disruption in sleep. The researchers also learned that people made more unhealthy food choices at home, and so bottom line, working from home can mean bad eating, more screen time to say nothing of anxiety from COVID and all the resulting worse sleep. Well, I don't think this tells us a tremendous amount of new stuff, but what I think it does tell us is we're all kind of falling into this chasm, if you will, of poor sleep due to COVID. So remember, there's many things that you can do. My three favorite things to do is number one, wake up at the same time every day, including the weekends, slow down on that caffeine by stopping caffeine by 2 p.m. and avoiding alcohol three hours before bed. If you do those three things, that will absolutely help you get your sleep back in line, especially during a time like COVID. And finally, from the world of the, well, weird, there's a unique hotel in England where guests can pay up to $250 a night in a horse stable. Yes, you heard it right. Equine enthusiasts can stay either with a Frenzian horse or a Shetland pony in a souped up horse stall outfitted with a double bed, a bunk bed, mini fridge, microwave, and an ensuite shower and toilet per their website. 
I'm surprised no one came up with this idea before, says Tracy Alexander, owner of Black Horses Limited in Cartmel, Cumbria. This is an interesting take on animals in the bed, that's for sure. As many of you know, I have a French bulldog that sleeps with me and a cat. And so there are many of us out there who find comfort in sleeping with animals in our bed. Well, I've never heard of a horse. Um, I certainly know quite a few horse enthusiasts who probably wouldn't mind crashing out in the stall every now and then. The truth of the matter is, is as long as the animal is not disruptive to your sleep, I personally don't see a whole lot of problems with it. The only other thing you have to worry about are allergies, uh, because some people will actually get allergies over the course of time, may not be allergic to their animal in the beginning, but over the course of years, that can happen. So keep aware of the allergies, but I think this is a very interesting idea. And now that we've caught up on some news, it's time for a fascinating sleep story with performance psychologist and my friend, Dr. Michael Gervais. Hey everybody, Dr. Michael Bruce, the sleep doctor here. My guest today is going to provide a tremendous conversation. Why? Because he is a high performance psychologist who focuses in on people who are at the top of their game, literally leaders in their industries. His clients include CEOs, military, Olympic champions, NBA players, even the entire Seattle Seahawks organization, and many, many more. Also, he happens to be a friend. We live one town apart, and our kids go to the same school, and I feel very honored to have Dr. Michael Gervais here on with me today. So, Michael, thanks so much for coming on board. Oh, my honor. Thoughtful uh, introduction, and Always good to speak with you. So thank, thank you, Michael. Of course, of course. So now you're a performance psychologist and I know what that means and you know what that means, but I don't know if everybody else out there does. Would you maybe give us just a couple of minutes on sort of what it is that you do and the types of people that you work with? I think people would find it fascinating. Cool. So traditional psychology is born out of the medical model, which is an examination of suffering, an examination of mental disorders and things that um, uh, lead to a disrupted way of living. And uh, performance psychology was born out of sports psychology. So sports psychology is the study of how do the extraordinaries operate? How do the high performers across multiple domains, how do they organize their inner life? What are the ways that they use to cultivate and train their mind? And so our roots are in traditional psychology. I'm a licensed psychologist, the specialization in sport and performance. And the, the name performance psychology is meant to just say, okay, there's more than just sport, right? There's arts, there's business, there's a lot of performative aspects of um, the human experience. And then what we're doing, and when I say we, I, I guess it's I, it, but the industry really is double clicking underneath of the performative aspect and saying, what are the foundations for people to flourish? to be fulfilled in life, and to explore the upper reaches of their potential. So really, those are the bookends, fulfillment and flourishing, and then what are the mechanisms and strategies to explore your own potential. And so we've studied how the best in the world work, as opposed to some, um, some of the uh, origins of our discipline, which is how do the suffering make sense of the world. And, so, and there's not a right and wrong, it's just where I'm spending you know, uh, my attention and time. That's awesome. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, obviously, you work with a lot of very high performing clients. I mean, across multiple industries, it's not just athletes. Have you noticed any common threads that you see from successful people with regards to either their personalities or their approaches to life? It's a great question. And there's not a golden thread that we know of yet. 
And so, you know, that, that um, attempt to find a string theory or, you know, some, something that is binding the, the best in the world, but there are some commonalities. And I'd like to share some of those commonalities because each one of these that I want to share with you also has ways to help and get better at them, like the strategies that sit underneath of it. So yeah, some of the best in the world. First, let's say that the half percenters, they are more like each other than they are disliked. No, wait, let me not say it that way. <laughs> they are more, yeah, they are more alike than dissimilar. And so what does that mean? That means that there is a thread with those true half percenters, the tip of the arrow folks. And one of those common bonds between them is that they are in a relentless pursuit for the truth. And that is uncommon. That doesn't mean that it's unavailable to most people, but it is uncommon to be on this relentless pursuit to get to the deep truth of an understanding is because there is a larger purpose and mission at play for many of these people. And so one, the commitment to the truth, two, purpose and meaning is connected to their life efforts. And if we just stop there for a moment, there's a whole wealth of psychology <laughs> science that we could play with. And right. my experience has been that most people um, struggle with their purpose in life. Like, you know, like it's hard. It's a big thing to think about. What is my purpose? In the limited time that I'm here, what's my purpose? Your purpose is really clear, Michael. You know, it's, it's obvious. My purpose really is organized in a way to help people live in the present moment more often. And to do that, we need to train our mind because left unchecked, our brain wins. And there's a difference between the brain and the mind. And to oversimplify, if you'll allow me to play in the space for a little bit, to oversimplify the brain, it's the most beautiful, beautifully complicated, nuanced structure in the world. It's you know, three pounds that sits inside of our skull and we really don't understand it. And it's amazing because we live with it organically. We embody it. We are in many factors, uh, in many forms, the expression of what our brain is sorting out. And so if left unchecked though, the brain will win and the brain's dictum is survival. So how do you check the brain? How do you work with the brain? Well, that's the overused analogy between your brain being the hardware and your mind being the software. The wonderful part about psychology is that we can train our software. We can upgrade the bugs and the hacks and the little quirks that you know were installed at age four and 14, and we can do something about them. And that is the essence of training the mind so that we can live in the present moment more often. And why is that important? Because the present moment, is where one, mechanically high performance is expressed. That's cool. It's also where wisdom is revealed. And it's also where all things that are true, beautiful, good, and amazing are experienced. And so the quality of our life is met at the intersection of the frequency of time spent in the present moment. And so that's my life purpose, helping people get to the present moment more often. That's Wow, that's amazing. I've never heard you describe it that way. That really makes a lot of sense. You know, it reminds me, I was watching um, The Last Dance, um, you know, the thing with the Chicago Bulls, the documentary. And one of the things that somebody said in there about Michael Jordan was that he was always present, that that was his big gift. Aside from the talent and being an unbelievable person, you know, physically and all of those things, his secret was his presence at all times. And that really falls in line with your philosophy as you dictate. Wow, that's really interesting. So 
So when you work with these types of people, and maybe even you yourself have experienced this, how does sleep or the science of sleep seem to intersect both maybe with you personally, as well as with maybe some of your clientele? It's one of the core pillars. It's one of the key foundations for living a, a life of um, fulfillment and flourishing and high performance is getting sleep right. And, you know, I know you know this. And so you're leading the freaking field in this. So why is it important? I'm trying. How is it important? Yeah, I think, I think what I want to share is that if we were to pull back the curtain on the franchises that are world-class and world-leading, whether in sport or business, but let's just stay in sport for a minute. And this is so important. What I'm about to share is that Coach Carroll, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, he and I built the business on the back of the insights of what is happening in sport that we can translate to business and or others that are interested in really getting after it in life. And so I don't, I didn't tell you that we just launched a book as well. So we've got an eight week online course. Amazing. Got a, yeah. And so it's an audible original. It's called Compete to Create. And um, we're so excited. I, I think it's my best work. And, oh, fantastic. Well, first, yeah. definitely tell us all, where can we find it if we're looking for it? I mean, I want to continue, but where can we find this information? Okay, yeah, for sure. So the eight-week online course is um, found at competetocreate.net. And we pull back the curtain and really show the five main pillars, what they are to training your mind, organizing your inner life towards your best aim in life, whatever that might be, whether it's to be a great parent, an entrepreneur, uh, a business leader an artist, an athlete. So we pull back the curtain and the five pillars are, and I think you'll enjoy this, you know this part, but the book is the tandem. It's the, com the uh, companion of this, but it's self-discovery, pillar one. Pillar two is um, psychological framework, which is how do you make sense of yourself and the world around you? Mental skills. And so confidence and calm and being deeply focused are mental skills. We show you how to train them. The fourth is recovery mechanisms. Okay, sleep sits right at the center of that. It's actually our, uh, our largest boulder that we're trying to get into the container. And then the fifth pillar is mindfulness. So if we double click under the sleep one for a moment, is that here's my experience, is that one in world-class and world-leading sport franchise and organizations, we're talking more about recovery than we are talking about working hard. Really? Yeah, so recovery is a bigger narrative and conversation than hard work because if you're not working hard unless you're that like literally there are freaks out there okay that they eat pizza and are ripping beers and they're jumping 42 inches you know within waking up in the morning and it's out and they look like adonis like it's crazy but those are absolute like generational kind of freaks and the other 99.9 percent .9 are working hard at a really high clip so if you're going to work really hard in life what does that mean? It means that you're going to run to the experiences of finding stress points and choke points where you're not good enough to be able to do the thing that you can imagine that you want to do. But that's really what hard work is, is running to the edge of your capacity. Again, whether that's in conversations, emotional conversations, or it's in sport, it's so mechanical in sport, is running to the edge of where you're not good, learning, and then recovering so that you can run to the edge again with the new insight you know, make your mistakes, make failures, whatever, whatever, and then recover, retreat and recover. And that's part of sleep is a big part of it. And then so you can run to the edge again with the new insights. And so that's the flywheel effect of progressive human growth, right? And that's how we explore potential. 
But sleep is so important because of what it does to the brain, both in form of consolidation of memory, as well as restoration across you know, other mechanisms in our body. So if we don't get sleep right, we're in trouble. You know, we're, we're looking for something that's more like an unsustainable peak at the end of a three-week kind of tear at like a like unsustainable work ethic. It doesn't work that way. Right. So that's one. Like we're talking about it more than you might imagine. The second is uh, we organize our days around it, not the other way around. So the, our last meeting of the day we make sure, even when we're in the thick of very intense experiences in life, and, and I just want to pause this because let's call it playoffs in sport, if you will. Mm-hmm. But we're not fragile. You can do an all-nighter. You could do two all-nighters. There's just a compromise. And sometimes it's required. I wish it weren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a compromise to it, though. <laughs> There's a cost to it, I should say. But So the way we're organizing our time, though, is that we are saying, right, our last engagement of the day as a team, even if it's a late one, we're pushing back our start time. Okay, hold on, let me go upstream. We're trying to keep our end time and start time consistent. We're following good science of sleep, okay? But if we have to go late for some reasons, we are making the accommodation to say, well, sometimes we gotta push the start time back to give ourselves at least the chance of eight hours to fall asleep. So that window is 10 hours. Is it enough? Maybe not but it's really damn thoughtful and it's really close to say, okay, we need a little bit of time to unwind. And um, so, for, you know, we we'll have at least a 10 hour window before our first meeting. Yeah. So it's interesting because you're right. These people are not, they're different kinds of humans, right? They're just, these are very large creatures, <laughs> you know, more times than not who have insane skill sets. And you're right. They are working hard. And get and getting it done. I love the fact that you've. I mean, it seems as though in many cases when we talk to people who are in the performance universe, sleep is the afterthought. It appears as though in your case, sleep is the forethought, which is so nice to see. And I love the uh, the fact that you completely recognize how it's not just from a physiological standpoint that we see recovery, but also from a cognitive and memorial standpoint. I mean, quite frankly guys and gals got to figure out how to remember plays, right? And they have to, all that stuff has to, all that muscle memory has to settle and that all happens in REM sleep. And so when you cheat yourself long enough, as you said before, the consequences are pretty significant. Quick question. I know that you deal with, we're using athletes as a great example, but I know that sometimes you've got athletes who are young and sometimes athletes who are in the middle of their career. And then maybe some athletes who are towards the end of their career. Have you noticed either from a sleep and or performance perspective in terms of how that relationship works? Do you give them different pieces of advice based on their age range? It's a good, it's a thoughtful question because it's not necessarily age. It is more where they are in the arc of applying good science. Love it. Yeah. And so if, it, if it's a six-year-old, there's only so much you're going to be able to work. You know, so oh, you're, you're really speaking to the parents, but but um, my, most of my conversations are with adults, and most of the conversations people know about the value of sleep. They understand it, and they're a little um, what's the word? There's a gap, let's say, between the knowledge and then the sustainable application of it. It's not that different though than other disciplines, because under under our recovery mechanism, we got sleep well, biggest container, biggest rock to get in the container eat and hydrate well, move well, and think well. 
So let me just walk through this and then I want to double click on your, your, your uh, response. So sleep, okay, all the stuff that we, let's keep talking about the value of it. Eat and hydrate. If you were to put a apple and an apple pie in front of 100 people and you say, hey, could you choose the healthy one? <laughs> I mean, is anyone going to choose the apple pie? I don't know, like some contrarian or whatever would try to find <laughs> right. a way. But like 100 out of 100 or 99 out of 100 would likely say, yeah, 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 it's the apple. And then if you were to follow them, like over the course of whatever, are you eating more apples in your life and more apple pies? And so we know the information. We know that sleep is valuable. And it's the same with move well. We understand. People have, media and science has done a pretty good job saying, hey, movement's really important. But then the, the idea that I'm moving four or five times a week, get my heart rate up, moving heavy objects to be able to you know, send signals to the brain that I need strength. It, there's a gap in between knowledge and application. So most of my time is, is working to close that gap and applying other good science about habit formation, about going upstream to purpose, um, about organizing your thinking patterns to be able to do the thing that you want to do. Because here's the big one. Your community already knows the value of sleep. They're coming to you by saying to say, okay, I'd like a couple gems of knowledge, but I just want the tutorial. There isn't, there isn't the seven steps to sleeping better. There are key principles to follow. And so like one of the key principles that I found to sleep better, and this is going to be counterintuitive, know your purpose in life. Absolutely. And it, it, you know, like when, and here's the insight. When something really matters to you, I mean, really matters to you, like running out into a street because your son or daughter is doe-eyed and they're stuck looking at a big truck coming in and they can't quite, and they're frozen, you will run out. You'll, you will shove them out of the way or snatch them or grab them or you'll do whatever it takes, life included, when something really matters to you. So sleep doesn't, isn't the thing that matters to people. It's the mechanism. It's the tool. It's, it's the, it's, we have to go back upstream and say, okay, what's life purpose about? And then we follow that down a little bit and say, well, I got to be, if I'm really going to be about that, I've got to give myself the best chance, both from a cognitive and a physiological readiness, vibrance, zest. And then that becomes why I employ, is that the right word? Deploy the strategies around sleep. So that's how I think about it with folks. Um, it's bridging that gap between knowledge and application. And one of the ways I've found is like helping them with the purpose certainly seems to be one of those accelerants. Now, I would absolutely do that. When, when we look at those, so that's a big, you know, boulder, right? If you will, in terms of when you look at that, sometimes people aren't necessarily ready to figure that part out, but they do need some of the logistics or some of the, the hacks or some of the advice and the strategies. If we were to unpack and drill down into some of those things, as an example, when I work with some of my athletic clients, one of the big factors is jet lag, right? Is, oh my gosh, I'm a, I'm a West Coast team. And you've probably experienced this too, right? I mean, working with the Hawks, right? West Coast team flying to the East Coast to play, how, how did, how did, if some of our listeners saying to themselves, you know, I got to travel a lot and I, I'm kind of a weekend athlete, you know, what, what are some of the things that I could do that some of those guys and gals are doing? Do you have any insights into that? Oh yeah. Well, we, there is a disadvantage being up in Seattle when it comes <laughs> to traveling and there's an actual correlation to wins and losses. 
that when we start at um, 10 a.m. games on the East Coast, or one, I'm sorry, 1 a.m., 1 p.m. games on the East Coast, which is the early game, um, our biological clock is 10, but our wake up time is like 4.30, 4, 4.30 a.m. So it'd be great if we could follow good science and say, right, let's roll back our body clock to match the time zone that we want to optimize in, you know, for the week. But it's not, it doesn't work that way because each game is Sunday and it's, it, it's too much of a disruptive lift to the rhythm of our days to try to match body clocks. So what are we doing? We are being um, thoughtful on suggesting things like, okay, listen, when you're on the plane, we're heading over late at night on a Friday night. I think that's when we travel, Friday nights, sometimes Thursday nights, that um, let's do our best to not fall asleep on the plane. So that when we get there, we're gonna fall asleep and try to get on rhythm as best we can. Um, that's one. Sometimes it makes sense to stay on your own body clock. And so there's a, there's a strategy there uh, for, for some folks. And then we're making sure that we are getting some sunlight, um, first, first light uh, into, our, um, into our eyes and on our skin. We are making sure hydration is, um, we're, you know, we're taking a look at the hypothalamus and whatever, and we're getting our, our, um, our hydration right prior to. And so what else are we doing? Um, uh, we're, we're making sure that it is not just a one-off little hack, but that sleep is a drum that we're banging from preseason practices all the way through so it's not a catch-up thing got it um you know I, those are some of the strategies right yeah i know no, that makes yeah. that makes a lot of sense for for people that are th kind of thinking through that so you know also i mean i guess do you find that as an example like your brand is finding mastery right and so how much have you noticed people wanting to map because you've got these these five pillars do people say to you oh i can do a couple of these pillars but there's one pillar that, you know, that I can't yeah. do, or I, you know, I, I don't really want to do is sleep ever turn out to be one of those really difficult pillars or do, or do people really kind of jump into it? Yeah. My experience with sleep is that most people say, um, oh man, I, I definitely want to get it better there. I've tried everything. Right. You know, that like I've tried everything. And, and then when you double click underneath and pull on the thread a little bit further, there are some opportunities to get better at it. Like, you know, What's your nutrition look like? What's sunlight exposure in the morning look like? What's consistency look like? Um, what's hydration? Again, hydration is a big deal. What are you doing 30 minutes prior to trying to get your brain or 90 minutes prior to try to get in your brain? What is your room environment? You know, are you at that 65-ish Fahrenheit temperature zone? You know, like, so there are ways to think about maximizing it. But when it comes to sleep, most people want, because that I work with, their purpose is so clear that they know the value of sleep. And um, there's an, this was probably, let's call it eight to 10 years ago, there was a narrative and that narrative was sleep is overrated. Sleep is for like the week, you know, like I'm trying to crack out more work. I'm trying to crack out another journal article. I've got a spreadsheet I want to get to. You're, you're like, forget about it. I'm not doing that week stuff. I'm hard well, until you find yourself in a, knick-knack injury or missing an assignment or being so frustrated all the time that people are like, I don't want to work with this person. He's so irritable. You know, like there's consequences <laughs> right. like we talked about. So, and I think you'll, I'd like to ask you this, but I, I think that brains independent of um, work, uh, professional life, brains are brains. And when it comes to restoration and recovery and repair that let's call it 95% of brains need kind of about the same stuff. 
And I, I don't know what the magic number is there, but I know a brain's a brain and they don't change that much. Um, but maybe can, can I ask you to sharpen that up a little bit for me? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we know in terms of like the literature is in athletes in particular, um, they actually require longer bouts of sleep. Uh, data from Cherry Ma at um, Stanford looking at free throw percentages, they discovered that when people were sleeping eight, nine, 10 hours, that their free throw percentages became much more uh, accurate and things like that. Interesting enough, not more than 10 hours. There was no. a diminishing return. So there, there was exactly. no performative value of sleeping for their study for sleeping more than 10 hours, which is, that's a cool insight. Yeah. So, so one of the things I've noticed when I work with an athlete versus a CEO, because they're both competitors, right? They, and they both really do have very similar, what I call alpha brains. Um, what I've discovered is that my athletes who have a tremendous physical load to what it is they're trying to accomplish actually require um, more quantity of sleep and it has to be of higher quality, right? And, and the good news is, is that comes with regularity of schedule, that comes with nutrition, that comes with movement. And so a lot of these people honestly are like super sleepers. Um, <laughs> you know, some of these athletes are just crazy good at it. What's really interesting that I find with some of my athletes though, is that they have performance anxiety the night before. And so they get a crappy night of sleep the night before, and that then they get in their head. The truth of the matter is, is even though they had a crappy night of sleep the night before, it's not going to have much of a decrement in their overall level of performance because their adrenaline, their cortisol is going to be going, their muscle memories in, they're going to hit it pretty hard, but it's the mental when they think that they're not going to do well, and then everything falls apart. Yeah, that's exactly right. And to add to that, if they sleep, if they're bad sleepers or whatever phrase we're going to use there, they, they struggle with sleeping. Um, for months and years on advance, then then it is a little bit of a tight wire. Yes, you know the the night before, the night before, right, and the night before, right. But the but but if to your point that um, if you've got a good base on one night's not fine, whatever. And even if you do struggle with sleep, the one night of poor sleep because of the anxiousness and rumination of thought is um, marginal because you're actually kind of used to it. But it is a little bit like a dehydrated person um, that's only operating on a bare um, minimal amount of hydration, then you starve them from some of that, that liquid. It, it, it's much more noticeable than that same decrement of sleep or of hydration for somebody that's well hydrated. So off-season sleep is equally as important as pre-season sleep, as season, as post-season sleep. Oh, I love that you said that because I personally believe that as well. All right. Well, we're we're going to start wrapping things up here. Um, this has been an amazing conversation. One, you know, one of the things that's always interesting is thinking about the future. And I know you are somebody that definitely is looking ahead and thinking about performance and and those types of things. What does the future kind of hold for people if they're interested in mastering their mind? Right. Like, like help us understand. Like, what are the newest things that you're seeing out there? Is it is it AI? Is it robots? Is it is it self-care? Like, what are the people, what, what do you think is clicking right now? Okay, so uh, I love it, and I'll be brief on this, but this is, I'm passionate about this because I love thinking about human potential. And I want to start with this note. If there is potential to the human experience, we don't know what it is. So that's an exciting thought for me. And what if we make that individual, that means that the, the amount of dormant potential lying within you is high. And that's a really exciting thought. So what does that mean? There's more to go. There's more to give. There is a deeper and um, higher extended reach for you to go. 
So from the psychological aspect, it's going to go in two phases that we think. One is right now in our current condition that we're experiencing, where there's an upheaval of the normal way of living. The upheaval is really about not being able to manage uncertainty well. And so right now we are struggling with the unknown, the unpredictable, the uncertainty of things. And you know what the truth is, prior to COVID and prior to the narratives of we need to do far better for people across justice, is that, that the uncertainty was always there, but we were just being lazy with it. We were using heuristics as shortcuts to the mental frameworks to be fully present. So what's going to be the short, or I'm sorry, what's the next mechanism? Self-discovery, empathy, deep connection between human to human. And it starts with the deep connection with yourself, then with others and with mother nature. So in that order, you become the pebble in the pond. And when you go deeper and you understand self-discovery at a rich level and you layer on mental skills so that you can be the man or woman you want to be in rugged, hostile, stressful, pressured environments, that's where you realize how much further there is to go. So it's a twofold, self-discovery, mental skills. And why have most people not um, made that investigation or made that commitment? Because psychology was for weaklings. Psychology was for people that right. were broken and, and whatever. It's changing. Look, you got DeMar DeRozan, one of the greatest NBA players right now, saying, hey, hey uh, I'm raising my hand. You got Kerry Walsh Jennings, uh, one of the greatest volleyball players to ever say, hey, I'm raising my hand. You've got Felix Baumgartner, and these are folks I've spent time with. You got Felix Baumgartner, jumped from out of space at 130,000 feet. Right. So he was a Red the, Bull guy, right? Yeah. Um, where aerospace engineers were saying, hey, this is the chances of you living are, they, it's this is dangerous. So these men and women are raising their hands, Seattle Seahawks. They're saying, hey, listen, the mind matters. Let's get it right. And so that's the first. The second is um, when you think about technology. Uh, VR and AR are going to be massive accelerants. And so, but that, let's not let that be the thing that changes the first thing, which is self-discovery and mental skills. AR and VR are becoming incredibly exciting right now, but they're not, they're still not there yet. It's a bit of a, a promise for the future, but the technology is coming online pretty fast. So bottom line, performance is about knowing yourself and knowing your purpose and knowing who you are as a human. That's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. And once you get there, that allows for that acceleration to success. Is, am I close? You've got it. And I'll, I'll <laughs> make it, make it short, really short, which is there's an old model that many of us bought, especially people in our generation is that I need to do more to be more. I need to do the extraordinary to be extraordinary. And I'm telling you in the, in the frontier of human potential, that model is flipped. And the model is I need to be more and let the doing flow from there. So be more what? Be more present, authentic, be more creative, be more grounded, be more here. And from that orientation, allow the doing to flow. And that is a totally different way of expressing potential and engaging with um, your craft and or other people as well. So that's the deal. Be more to do more. So you mentioned AR and VR, and I have a feeling you might know a little bit more about what's going on in that universe. Help us understand what's, what's kind of coming down the pipe. So the highest performance standards are when you're in an environment and it's quote unquote live bullets, there's real consequence happening. Right underneath of that is mental imagery. So using your mind to create lifelike experiences, 
underneath that are rubber bullets, so to speak. Okay. And then underneath that is this experience between AR and VR that's augmented reality and virtual reality. And it is a way to help get as close as we possibly can to the real thing. And so it's an exciting time. And what that means is the technology is getting better. The wearable frictionless way of the technology is enhancing. And um, what it's basically doing is creating signals and experiences in your brain that feel lifelike. And, but there's no cost. And so whether that is for phobias or whether that is for seeing yourself perform on a stage or whatever it might be, it's a pretty incredible technology that's coming down the lane. It's not there yet, like we talked about, but it's coming. Wow. That is so insightful. That's not what I was expecting at all. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Vase. I mean, I really appreciate your perspective and, of course, the fact that you uh, realize the importance of sleep with uh, all of your clients. How do you sleep? How Are you a good sleeper? I want to say thank you. And I'm, I'll answer my your question. But what you're offering to people is is one of the great investments in human potential. I love it. And I love that you've got clarity and you know the science um, and that you're really hands-on with the application. So uh, that's, you're hitting the sweet spot. And uh, my sleep is good. I make it a, it's a priority in my life. And I invest my structures and days around it because I know what it's like to go without sleep. Um, and it, it, I'm not, I'm not even close to my best. And so, um, yeah, so it, it's, it's good. Awesome. Well, for everybody out there who wants to learn more about you and find out more about your courses and all and your website, where should people go to learn more about what's going on in your world? Thank you, brother. And so uh, compete to create.net is a place for the eight week online course. Audible original is for the book. So, and you can get the book on the website too, but it's audible.com forward slash compete to create. And then the podcast is findingmastery.net. Love for you to follow along there. Congratulations on yours. Yeah. And then um, on social, it's at Michael Gervais, G-E-R-V-A-I-S. Fantastic. So thanks again, Mike. I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough. You're such a professional. You've got such great insight into things. And I know my audience is super thrilled to have you on. Performance psychology appears to have been born out of sports psychology, and it looks at the true essence of what makes people productive. Dr. Gervais has discovered a few things that he thinks are similarities among the super elite. First of all, that half a percent of people out there are actually more alike than they are different. They all have a relentless pursuit for the deep truth. I find that fascinating, a relentless pursuit for the deep truth. They feel like they have deeper purpose, which really drives them in a very unique way. And here was the thing that I thought was incredibly fascinating about what Dr. Gervais explained to us is he said that the frequency that anyone, not just elite athletes, not just politicians, not just CEOs, but if anyone, the frequency of time spent in the present moment dictates not only their productivity um, in all areas, including sport, cognition, and emotion, but it also improves their wisdom and as well as allowing them to have all of the beautiful experiences that they have. It's kind of amazing, but that present moment is really what he's after. And we find that when you do something like that, you not only gain purpose, but you can recover and sleep quite well. Dr. G shared with us five pillars to train your brain in what he called compete to create. And he said there are five different areas, one of which we know very well. The first one was self-discovery, uh, kind of learning more about who we are. The next was psychological framework in how to view yourself. 
The third was mental skills, things like confidence, being calm, deep focus. The fifth one was mindfulness, but of course, the fourth one was recovery, and that's always the one I like to talk about. You know, Gervais had a really interesting take on it, and he said that in sport, they actually talk more about recovery than hard work because everybody works hard at that level. You know, what I thought was really interesting is he said, hard work is basically running yourself to the edge of your capacity, recover, learn, and then run again to the edge with new insights. That's what he says equals growth. And he said in the sporting world, which is where he plays a lot, if we don't get sleep right, we're in trouble. (laughs) Fascinatingly enough, they organize the athletes' schedules around sleep, not the other way around. So he said to me, if they have a late evening, then they have to have 10 hours of no meetings until the next one, allowing for people to have some chill out time and some proper sleep time. I thought it, it was the best thing was when he ended with this. He said, in my world, sleep is the forethought, not the afterthought. Pretty amazing guy. I highly recommend that you check out competetocreate.com. That's his online course. He also has a, a book that comes with it, which is both pretty amazing. Um, but now let's move on to your questions from the mailbag. So this is the part of the show where I answer questions from literally all around the world about your sleep. And uh, I enjoy doing it. And we have some really interesting questions today. So Jenny from Alabama asks, does reading before bed affect my sleep in a positive way? So first of all, great, great question. I'm always excited to talk about the importance of having an effective nighttime ritual and of course how it prepares the body for sleep. Uh, You know, rituals can be all kinds of different things. You know, I talk about the power down hour, which is where you take the last hour before lights out and break it up into three 20 minute segments, 20 minutes for just stuff you got to do 20 minutes for hygiene, and then 20 minutes for something that's going to calm you down. And so during that final section, concentrating on something relaxing, reading book is actually a really good choice. Uh, reading itself does not seem to make you sleepy, but it does appear to distract you from the troubles that you had earlier in the day, which might make sleep a little bit easier. Um, so I actually found an interesting survey that was done by uh, a website called Sleep Junkie, and they discovered that bedtime bookworms earned more money, made healthier choices, and had a better outlook on life. Well, I think that sounds pretty cool. Almost 50% of the survey participants cracked open a book before snoozing at least once a week and read for an average of 43 minutes. So here's what I can tell you, Jenny, is reading is a good thing before sleep, but don't get too engaged. What do I mean by that? Well, you probably don't want to use an e-reader, but if you are using one, make sure to use blue light blocking glasses. And I always try to read fiction, not nonfiction before bed, because quite honestly, nonfiction can be a little bit engaging for me. The next question is from Sam from Illinois, and he asks, can you explain your chronotypes again? I'm not sure which one I am. Sam, great question. Always a good one. For folks out there who want to know what their chronotype is, feel free to go to www.chronoquiz.com. That's C-H-R-O-N-O-Q-U-I-Z.com. So what is a chronotype, first of all? So a chronotype is a genetic, internal, biological uh, sleep schedule. It's probably the best way to think about it. We used to think about chronotypes in a little bit of a different way. And most of you probably know about those early birds, night owls, things like that. Well, my contribution to the literature was I discovered that there's actually four chronotypes. My chronotypes are a lion, which kind of replaces that early bird, a bear, which is somebody sort of in between an early bird and a night owl. And by the way, it's the best to be a bear. 
uh, a wolf, which is our night owl, and then a new category of what I call a dolphin or somebody who's got a very irregular or erratic sleep schedule. The basic thing to understand here is once you go to chronoquiz.com and figure all that out, you can actually figure out the best time of day to go to bed, to wake up, to have sex, to drink coffee. I mean, honestly, it's pretty amazing. So Sam, I suggest you check it out. But thanks for asking. Our last question today is from Susie from Colorado, and she asks, is there a particular humidity level that works best for sleep? You know, it's fascinating. I get temperature questions. I get humidity questions. It's really a lot about environment. So I actually read a study um, that was published in, I think it was 2018 by a group out of NASA. And what they discovered was that there are some optimal uh, points of temperature and humidity for sleep. What they discovered uh, was in fact that a temperature between 62 and 82 degrees, it's a pretty wide range. Normally I've been recommending 65 to 75. It looks like that can, that range can spread a little bit. Um, um, but what was most interesting was that the relative humidity for the best sleep was somewhere between 40 and 60%. So the good news for me is I live in California. I live not too far from the beach, so I'm really at sea level. But for folks out there that aren't at sea level, um, humidity can be a big factor. Of course, seasonally that can change as well. So do yourself a favor. And if you can get yourself um, to the 40 to 60% humidity in a room that's somewhere between 62 and 82 degrees, you should be feeling pretty good uh, about your environmental sleep concerns. Now, one thing to remember is that all of this data has been interestingly showed that if you are comfortable with your sleep environment, you certainly rate it as better and you get better sleep. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you know anyone you think might have a fascinating sleep story and make for a tremendous guest, please send me an email at drbruce at thesleepdoctor.com. That's D-R-B-R-E-U-S at thesleepdoctor.com. If you want more information, feel free to visit my website, thesleepdoctor.com. Sleep Success is a Mant Bros production and executive produced by Michael Mant. I hope you learned something new to help you live better. Until next time, sweet dreams.